Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host, Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Hello, gang. In this episode, we talked to Dave Cornthwaite, who, a few days after we spoke to him, turned 40. Dave is an adventurer and community leader, and I'm pretty sure he'll be something else soon. Wind back 15 years on the morning of his 25th birthday, um, Dave had woken up at home in Swansea and spoke to his cat, Kiwa. He had a 10-hour-a-day PlayStation habit, that's Dave, not Kiwa, a job he hated and a girlfriend he didn't like. Um, So despite having everything he'd been told a successful adult needed, he didn't see any reason to be around. He was, in his words, a loser. And that seems to have been the moment, the moment that he decided to swap negativity for positivity, the moment he decided to say yes more. Um, Very quickly, Dave was exploring Swansea on a skateboard, his first ever skateboard. And this was the start of a journey that led very quickly to him breaking the world record for the longest journey by skateboard, Perth to Brisbane, 3,618 miles. Uh, Many adventures have followed, including paddleboarding the Mississippi with alligators and Marathon de Sable, the world's toughest race. And um, yeah, he's, he's been on many adventures since. But it would be wrong to assume that Dave's conversation with his cat was the turning point from which everything panned out just fine. What Dave has experienced is 15 years of genuine adventure and all that comes with it. Dave's learnt that the periods he feels most alive will be inevitably followed by periods of gloom, like long hangovers. But on balance, Dave considers the ups to be worth the downs because... He knows a just existing life just isn't enough. My mother went through all that pain bringing me into the world. The least I can do is make the most of life, is what Dave says. Anyway, I think you'll enjoy this. Dave Cornthwaite, say yes more. I, I feel as though we've done half the podcast already <laughs> and this and this happens all the time doesn't it where we we come and meet somebody and then just get deep into really interesting conversation and then realize that, we, that yeah we haven't got all the stuff on but it's good because i feel like we've got a, a good um starting point for the conversation so dave could you set the scene for us absolutely we are currently sat around a little table which just happens to be downstairs on a converted double-decker bus Upstairs, we've got a library and a cinema. To our left, we have a kitchen, which usually has a popcorn maker right in the middle of it. And we're right in the middle of a lovely two-acre countryside site. The fire pit's just over there. A bell tents up. And we've even got portaloos. It's lovely. It's uh, it's very uh, serene, isn't it, where we're sitting? We've got a nice open fire. And the bus... So it's, a, it's, a, it's an ex-London bus mm-hmm. that retired in the Isle of Wight. Yeah. And um, and then the community, which will come to, converted it, but where you were leading that. And what we noticed immediately is the quality of everything. It's just, it's beautiful, isn't it? It feels like a, a, you know, kind of luxurious, well, a really just nice space to be. But that, you said, was attributed to some of the quality of the people who helped out with that process. 
Yeah, absolutely. I th- I I think if you're going to do something, you do it well. Yeah. Uh, and the whole the whole process of idea to conception, you can you can lose some of that quality along the way unless you're you're really keen to maintain it. We were talking before about the importance of having a vision, but then being able to articulate it and get other people to to realize exactly what it was that mm. you're after. Mm. And you know you can miss out so many details when you're in the middle of a big job, but then you don't get to the end. Yeah, right. So I'm really interested in where this idea of the bus came from and i think that will connect up to all sorts of aspects of your Mm -hmm. life but maybe we could start with how do you describe yourself to people (laughs) it totally depends who i'm talking to yeah i thought you might imagine you're talking to us (laughs) uh i'm going through a bit of a transition at the moment as well working out what the next steps are Mm. i think every three or four years if you're uh if you're used to living actively you you ultimately decide that you you need something a little bit more different so i'm right in the middle of that so so categorizing myself giving you a business card isn't that easy sometimes it's it has been adventurer for the last 15 years now more and more it's community leader none of those really sit that nicely with me sometimes it's rocket scientist but that's a total <laughs> lie <laughs> but it's very fun to put on a customs form mm. uh yeah i've I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a writer, maker of small films, a storyteller. I, I don't really know, honestly. Does it make you Just feel Dave. does it make you feel uncomfortable? So if you if you find yourself in those situations where you're with a random group of people mm. and you don't have your say yes more um branding. Mm. So you're left to your own devices and 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 then you need to explain who you are. How does that feel? I'd rather not. Mm. I'd rather someone else did it for me. Okay. That probably feels more clear. Uh, Has there ever been a time in your life where that hasn't been the case? For sure. Okay. Yeah. Can you take us back there? Yeah, I can. I, back in 2005, I was, I was just coming to the end of my tether mentally, physically, certainly in, in terms of how I was living. And I was, I was the world's worst graphic designer. And I just say I was, Oh, I'm Dave, I'm a graphic designer, but never really believed it because I wasn't very good. Mm. And then soon afterwards, I, I woke up on my 25th birthday and had a little conversation with my cat. And I realized I was just a no guy. I was getting nothing out of life. I definitely wasn't moving towards whatever potential I could have had as a human. What and did your cat have to say about that? Essentially, the cat, her name was Kiwa, by the way, yeah. which means small in Swahili. Kiwa Packer, small cat. Inventive. <laughs> she said... Was it massive? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> largest cat you've ever seen. The <laughs> <laughs> biggest domestic cat in Swansea. <laughs> uh, she essentially said, Dave, I'm a cat and I'm really happy and you're a human and you're really unhappy, but you get to choose. Why have you chosen this? I was like... That was a profound cat. Yeah, you're not only a, a big small cat, but you're very <laughs> wise. And So wh- where did that come from? I mean, that you, you must have been... There must have been something that triggered triggered that that conversation, conversation with yourself. Mm. Yeah, I think you, you wake up on on one of these round birthdays. So it was a birthday, was it? The twenty morning, of my twenty fifth. Was it? Yeah. And I thought, wow, I've been on this planet for a quarter of a century. I happen to know that that was almost exactly fifteen years ago to the day. <laughs> very close. Yeah, very we'll close. come to that as well. And I just thought, wow, 
quarter of a century and I'm I'm a loser. I've got a ten hour a day PlayStation habit. I hate my work. My girlfriend and I don't like each other. And on and on and on. There was not really anything good. But yet I had everything that I'd always been told I needed to mm. be a successful adult. And it wasn't good enough. I didn't really see any reason to be around. That's uh, interesting. It, it, and and <clears throat> because that's the same for lots of people, isn't it? That that they have the things that they've been told mm. are going to make them feel good about themselves, but they don't. Yeah, for sure. And what what? How else do we know how to how to live and guide ourselves? Certainly, when we're when we're teenagers, slowly coming into yeah. independent adulthood other than what other people have told us. And I I guess I always had a bit of skepticism, uh, knowing that I didn't have any life experience in this stuff. And why should I do what my careers advisor says or mm. my dad says? Um, I need to work it out for myself. But then that that feels pretty hard when you don't have any mentors around, when you don't have anyone kind of guiding you down a way that makes you smile and makes life feel fun. Sometimes you've got to find it yourself. Sometimes your cat's got to tell you. Mm. But I think it definitely, that conversation definitely came along in the middle of a confluence of lots of things that weren't going right. I think sometimes maybe you need a diagnosis or s someone close to you dies or you have a car accident or you get made redundant. Yeah. And I didn't want to wait for that. It just felt like, right, this is last chance saloon. But ironically, in some ways, maybe you did wait for it because it just happened around like this idea that the 25th birthday was meaningful mm. and so that was enough of a catalyst but before that time you mentioned the role of other mentors um what do you attribute that place that you'd found yourself in to in terms of the people that were around you that were guiding you i didn't really feel like there was i look back and there wasn't any guidance at all i'm just painting life by numbers you know i think we can we can live these days if you if you're fortunate enough to be born in the western mm. world you can live for 80 years and not try mm. not challenge yourself not do anything different if you get sick you go to the hospital they look after you you get better you could find a menial job you don't need to love it as long as it pays the bills then you've got shelter over your head and you could put food on the table that's all you need to basically just be this this blob alive mm. alive on the planet you can exist you can exist and it's and like that morning i just kind of realized this isn't it's not good enough what what about so <laughs> yeah so <pe> <laughs> what a waste so people like your, your obviously your your parents friends what what did your what did your world look like kind of growing up and um and and, and as much as you can remember the influence of those people around you what do you, what mm. do you say that was oh, i was a pretty fortunate kid yeah dad was a dentist in the royal air force mum was either a midwife or a chiropodist as i grew up we you don't remember or no. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of the same thing aren't they <laughs> one one or the other we are i guess my my childhood was dictated by the posting that my dad got so whatever ref base he went to whether it was in england or germany so you moved around quite a bit moved around a bunch i think 18 different oh wow home okay. addresses by the time i was 18 and that meant you were changing your friends quite a bit for sure so you know i think those those formative years you know uh, massively developmental <laughs> i i got to making friends real fast yeah but didn't know how to keep them ah interesting yeah yeah because that wasn't something you needed on. to do because because you had never needed 
to well, keep and them. also I was, you know, I was pre-Facebook. So yeah. there was it was much harder to stay in touch with people. Mm, yeah. And I and I guess there was that, you know, my mum and my dad didn't don't really have, you know, long long-term friendship groups either. Because so they were in just, the same boat. They were in the same boat. Yeah. So w- w- were they as far as you know, I don't know if you've had this conversation with them since or whether you can reflect on it growing up. Hmm. But how did they feel about their own environment their life that they'd made for themselves and the fact that that came with um the side effect of not being able to have maybe maybe it being that much harder to have meaningful relationships with people uh my folks aren't aren't big talkers so a lot of this comes from just just scratches of conversation over the years but should we have them on the podcast sorry well, to cut in. yeah no, yeah. no no i don't think they'd listen to be honest would they not so. okay well that's a challenge for us we'll take that <laughs> yeah thing. maybe yeah maybe it is yeah <laughs> um but i i know it was difficult for my mum you know she was a she was a trained nurse midwife and then had to leave whatever hospital yeah. if we got posted along she was way always away. following so this she yeah. was always following for yeah. sure um and i saw that that wasn't comfortable and i get a big sense that my dad was only doing what he was doing one because that's what he was trained as there's a lot of sunk cost into getting a medical profession and the pension was pretty good at the end of it uh i got the sense he wasn't always happy you know to to be like that for 30 years i think that was probably a good incentive for me to not live the same career but probably also in a a generation where security was quite you know it's top of the list totally the done thing Mm. yeah yeah and you and it's not like it's not the case now. I still think that, yeah. although there's a lot of conversations, this one included about you know living your own life, self-employment, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, and maybe security, more security comes from that than it does from. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. But I'd I'd still say the majority still follow the same path. They'd rather have a job that they didn't necessarily like so much in order, as long as it pays the bills. Yeah. So so you kind of understandably just got taken for the ride with your parents mm. and 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 kind of developed yourself as a product of that environment and then you get to a point where i guess you start to then go your own way mm. so when was that for you and what did that look like well i my folks sent me to to boarding school when i was 10 mm. and i went to one little school for a couple of years so they were in germany and they figured that consistent education equal better life rather than just bouncing around throughout my teenage years then i went to a secondary school pro- proper posh public school all boys uh dad got a bursary through the RAF, yeah. so it wasn't too expensive i hated it it nearly killed me did it yeah i was physically mentally bullied i i turned up a year after everybody else in my year had been at the school so already I I struggled with that. Everyone had their friendship groups. And I think at that time, kids aren't, uh, they're still working out what life's Mm. about. And Mm. I think bullying is very much a part of that. Mm. Uh, So I I struggled at school. I hated it. I was never very academic. Football was about the only thing I was good at. That helps. Yeah, it does. Well, possibly not in a posh. I tell you what, it helps as long as that, posh public school has a football team yeah which they didn't. yeah 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 oh, bollocks that's bad isn't bollocks it? <laughs> play rugby skinny ginger child <laughs> yeah okay yeah. yeah okay get it i guess it's a good excuse for them to hit me more <laughs> mm. so that was a really hard time and and mm. you did you do you remember trying different techniques trying to change yourself a bit to kind of sit with well with the environment i always felt 
like I had something, mm. something unique that was worth looking forward to. But I was never able to put my finger on it. Football never really, I guess, because my folks were always pushing education, which, you know, is a pretty normal thing. You know, foot, football isn't a career to aspire to. Uh, so that never really felt like it was going to be something that turned into into an income. Sometimes I'd get a blank piece of paper feeling some kind of creativity within and try and just, just draw, just thinking an amazing cartoon would come out. Didn't. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> So I, I was completely kind of bereft of any obvious talent or direction at school. And there, there weren't any teachers. I didn't really have any close friends. Um, I'm, I'm not in touch with anyone now who, mm. I, who I spent four years at school with, for example. So I, I was just kind of left to my own devices. I, come, come the end of that. Uh, so that, that period is really about surviving. Yeah, literally. I... I remember a number of times there was our, our boarding house was alongside a road and we'd have to walk along a path for 200 meters and then there was this footbridge over over a busy A road and four occasions I got up in the middle of the night and having cased out this entire route and got got to the stage of if I jump off at this point is it best just to hit the ground? What if I go head first? Is that the best way? Wow. Yeah. Do I fall in front of a car? Yeah. That doesn't seem fair on the driver. Uh, every time uh, we come back from a holiday, I was driving back with my mum, my dad, or both of them, and I just want to crash, just so I didn't have to go back, mm. regardless of the consequences <coughs> did, of that. Did they know? No. And I felt that sharing that stuff would have upset them. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately why I didn't jump. Mm. I didn't want to be a burden. Mm. Yeah. So serious stuff. Yeah. It doesn't get more serious. Than no, that. that's right. But I, I guess that's, that taught me some resilience yeah. as a kid. Uh, not really wanting to be around, but at the same time, not wanting to hurt anybody else. Yeah. I, I learned how to bottle things up. Yeah, mm. but you, which you isn't always healthy. You said a few minutes ago that you, you always felt there was something, there was this sort of kernel of mm. something inside that was waiting to be um, released. Released. That's right. Yeah, it was. A, I was hopeful of that. I, yeah, I felt like there was something, but there was there was no indication of it of it coming along anytime soon. No, no, but it was in there some way. Every so often, you felt it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah. coming, so getting through boarding school hmm. and then starting to feel your own independence, did that lift you? To a degree, yeah. I the the natural path after that school was to go straight to university, uh -huh. and I and I was starting to think, well, I, I'm not very good at anything, so why would I go and study something if I don't know I really want to do it? So I took a, a gap year. I worked in a kitchen for six months and spent six months in Uganda when I was 19. How, how, deli I, sorry, how deliberate was that? That was massively deliberate. Was it? I, I needed to get away from from everything that I'd ever known. Yeah. I, I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to do anything that that every everybody else in that school was doing. I, felt, I, I knew that. I just needed to grow up. Mm. 
I always had this sense kind of from 13, 14 that there were lots of conversations going on around me, kids of my age, but, and they all seemed pretty sure of what they were talking about, but I wasn't sure how that could be possible because they didn't have any life experience. Interesting, yeah. Uh, so I was just, I, I barely said a word, you know, for four or five years. And I, and I, and I, I felt a spark of independence meeting up with these other 21 kids who were heading out to Uganda for six months meeting at Heathrow Airport for the first time and uh, independence but also embarrassment because across the concourse my mum shouted from boots <laughs> Dave would you like some condoms <laughs> <laughs> thanks mum I thought well that's unlikely <laughs> <laughs> unless I can use them to carry water or something <laughs> exactly <laughs> that that whole experience in Uganda was it opened my eyes it opened my mind but not to the degree where I was totally changed afterwards no I but w- but it was it was it was it was something it was it was an opportunity to change your environment where you were mm-hmm. um, and an opportunity to change the people that you were with and that must have been quite um uh, an opportunity to start again yeah way. can I just jump in with one question because mm. I think otherwise I'll, I'll miss it um <coughs> when you were plotting where you go what you do you know so it's not university it's mm. something else and you said it was deliberate in as much as I need something different mm. to what degree was it I need to go help other people I need to be in a kitchen I need to be in a foreign environment you know ha- how how considered were those um, components I I didn't it was pretty selfish I needed to be somewhere new and experience a bit of the world whatever that looked like it didn't necessarily have to be abroad and I only went to Uganda because my dad had spent the first 10 years of his life that his dad was in the army okay. and they were based in Kampala yeah so I'd heard stories about that country and it's I don't know it popped up on a gap year leaflet and I yeah. just it gave me something to to aim for for yeah. the last two years of school and I just saved all my pocket money and uh, so you you planned it for two years, two years my, prior to yeah, going. It was my escape route. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. So you had something, something to look to forward focus to, on. something to something to aim for, is what you yeah. said. Yeah, great. And as soon as I decided that, yeah, it made everything else bearable. Yeah, yeah, I had something to look forward to yeah. for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Beyond, you know, a Wednesday night kick around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you said so. So that it sounds like that was a big shove in the right direction. Hmm. Um, those six months. But can you remember? How did it, how did it change you? Um, I look back now and I wish I'd I'd been able to make more of mm. that time. I was just still a kid, you know. I was eighteen. I didn't have any life experience, and I I didn't get to know people out there, whether they were the the other Europeans on the team or my Ugandan teacher counterparts teachers in inverted commas mm-hmm. i think there's you know looking back now obviously there's a lot there's a lot wrong with sending you know white kids out to africa to teach when they've <laughs> they've only just left school themselves yeah. and they've got no teaching qualifications that didn't ever cross my mind at the time uh ethically i would think that's just ridiculous it was clearly just a money-making route for the company mm. uh but um yeah, I I wish I'd been able to to engage and and start learning that keeping keeping friendships and and contacts was was something ever so valuable. Fifteen 
15 years on, well, like 22 years on from that, I, uh, you know, I'm a completely different bloke. Mm. But I, that, while it was a, a nice shove in the right direction, I realized that oh, there's something so special about just sit, getting on a plane and eight hours later you're in a world so mm. different yes. to the one you've experienced. That realization that there's always going to be that escape from normality uh, gave me a reason to live. And I, and I started dabbling in, I, I guess there was an entrepreneurial streak of, of some sort. I came, I remember coming back with a rucksack full of, full of African jewelry that I'd bought in a market in Kampala. And then at university, I was just selling it, even if it was just two quid at a time. And I was thinking, okay, there's, I kind of like this. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of cool. You identify an opportunity and you bring it to life. Um, do you think so that spark that you talked about earlier did do you feel as though maybe you started to identify what that spark was in those feelings maybe maybe although you know I'd, I'd like to think so but at the same time I was I was 18 when I headed out to Uganda 19 when I came home and it was I was 25 when I finally realized mm. that I needed to live in a different way so for those five six years at university i was what did you study i started off with american management science uh the only thing i was remotely good at at school i hated it was maths uh and then yeah ridiculous but i, I didn't really see any value in it but at the same time it was the only grade i could really get into a course on so american management science with the cent was business and high-powered maths with a year abroad in America. Oh, right. uh, so that so, is a sweetener. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I, I'll do this university thing. And I chose Swansea. It was the only place I applied to because it had a beautiful prospectus cover, <laughs> uh, gorgeous white sandy beach in the sunshine, which was a total lie because it rained <laughs> solidly for five years in South Wales. <laughs> but then it took me two weeks at uni to realise that I didn't want to be getting up at 8am to listen to a Greek guy talk about maths. It was something I... I had no interest in so I quit I quit that course and re-enrolled in international development a study of social studies history mm. politics economics in in the developing world still didn't really make much sense sitting behind a desk in Swansea learning about <laughs> you know Indian soci socioeconomics and African history I just wanted to be there mm. so that's what qualified you to become a graphic designer then absolutely <laughs> <laughs> getting right to the root of it yeah there was uh, nothing in those first 25 years was was directed but it, uh, it's interesting isn't it because i i think it sounds like you talked about the entrepreneurial <laughs> you were a graphic designer there's 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 a creative you know part of you there, there's a, a right the right brain is sort of <laughs> is where you, you're being taken a little bit I, I think if anything, if I was taught anything by by that first experience in Uganda and then my early early year in, in university, it was that nobody else really cares what I do. Mm. It's up to me to make this happen. Mm. So, okay, there's identifying that opportunity and then making it real. You might be able to find a business partner or something, but I kind of like the individuality of, of just, yeah okay let's let's try this so throughout uni i you know i identify an opportunity i loved football and uh, i set up the first intramural football league in wales 
So we had, eventually we had, and this was a bit of an entrepreneurial thing looking back as well. I wanted to, I wanted to play football. I didn't really want to get in on the team thing because that was, it felt so public schoolboy, mm. and that was just the, the last thing that resounded with my character. So I got each department to set up their own football team and then each one of them paid subsidies to, to join in. And I, I think I pocketed half the money. Mm-hmm. Um, it was brilliantly unethical. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you had suddenly you had 200 people. Well, it's week. a management fee. Yeah, it's a management fee for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work. But, uh, and I, I, like, I like that feeling of seeing 200 people out there kicking a ball around. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we had a league table and the lot. Yeah. And I also got to play, finally. Uh, that, was, that was really nice. And then I just, I kind of liked writing. My mum had always said, oh, we loved your letters when you were in Uganda. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I thought, all right, let's <clears throat> let's write for the, for the school paper, for the uni paper. So I, I applied to be travel editor and I got the, I got the job, which was miraculous. And I realised only a few months later that I got the job because I was the only one who applied. <laughs> but I remember going into this, this newspaper. Well, that's a lesson for life, isn't it? Sometimes you are the only one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more, more than often. It would have been such a good excuse and I'm sure a few people thought I'm not going to apply because I'll never get in. You know? yeah. I've got no experience. Who does have experience in their first year of uni of writing, writing articles? So you've got to go for it. I remember going into that newspaper office and thinking, what a state. This place is an absolute mess. And pretty soon I was I was just kind of digging into the editor's brain, who was also kind of just like a third year student. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this work? You know, what's what's going on here? I, and I I was then the news editor the second half of that first year and, and on and on and on. And I, I weaseled my way into the paper. I wasn't a very good writer, but uh, it was more about the system. I really enjoyed that. And then... The opportunity at the end of my second year came up to apply for the editor's position, which I knew I could do alongside school, and it was twelve. It was twelve grand. Wow, that's pretty it's pretty good, isn't pretty it? Sweet. Yeah. So I went for it, and uh, and I got it. Are so you I the was, only one again? <laughs> I think I might be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted that job. Uh, editing the waterfront is not something you put on your CV. The one thing that struck me after after that was. Every single, it was a fortnightly paper and every, every, uh, as the deadline approached, the editor and maybe another sub-editor went into the local evening post. So travelled for 50 minutes across town and went and sat down with their shitty little quark files uh, and sat with the editor of the, the local paper who would then design it and turn it into something print worthy and then that paper would print it out for us, obviously they got they got paid to do that and i just thought what what a waste of resources why aren't we doing this in house so i i kind of canvassed the the students union to give us a little bit of money and uh and we bought three computers and that's when i taught myself graphic design out of, ah. nece- out of necessity was yeah, it? yeah i spent i spent uh, an entire summer holiday teaching myself how to how to use like some form of indesign mm-hmm. and um i think it was quark back back then and uh yeah, I learned how to just lay out a newspaper. It wasn't good. It was ugly, but it was enough. And eventually we would then literally just design it in-house. I teach the sub-editor to design badly too. And then we'd send those final files in. So we, for me, it was just saving those kind of two hours of travel every fortnight backwards and forwards from the Evening Post. Yeah. We could just email them the files and suddenly the paper would appear. That's where the graphic design came from. 
yeah, graphic design in yeah, inverted yeah. commas. Yeah, interesting. And, <laughs> and presumably that led to a proper job in inverted commas. Mm -hmm. And you're suddenly, you find yourself as a graphic designer and then we're close to that moment with the big cat. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you but you, at that point from everything you've told us, it's you, you've you've seen quite a lot now and you've experienced quite a lot of emotions, good and bad, and mm. started to understand glimmers of you and where, what your needs are. You know, your kind of innate needs. So you have the conversation with the cat. Mm. And what what was the, from that point, what was the kind of point of no return for you? So I guess I should say that from leaving the newspaper i got a i then got another job in swansea uh -huh. as the only graphic designer for an advertising agency and it was it was a shit show it was ugly ugly design that the world definitely didn't need but it was all but it was enough to get me the money so i could go home and sit on my two sofa-sized beanbags and play my playstation <laughs> i had a house had a, a roof over my head and fed the cat and avoided the girlfriend <laughs> And that was it. You know, there was, for all of this, this stuff that we've talked about, I still didn't have any direction. I kind of liked a bit of hustle, but I, the thing I loved most was just playing PlayStation. Mm. So, so until this point, it was really a process of working out what you didn't want mm -hmm. rather than what you did want. Yeah, almost certainly. But maybe just as, a, I think this might take a slight tangent, but it might be useful to some people that are listening. The computer games are amazing, aren't they? You know, I grew up with computer games as well, and I could lose hours and hours. So my yeah. game, other than some football games, was Grand Theft Auto back in the day, mm -hmm. and I could lose hours, like lots and lots and lots of hours. And then I can't remember what happened to me and why it happened, but something happened where I said to myself, a similar conversation, but I didn't have the cat, and it was, I'm just going to stop playing computer games because, mm. as fun as these hours are there's other things I could be doing with that time that I think would be better for me. Yeah. God knows how that happened, but it did happen. Exactly. The did, same. It was the same thing for you, was it? Yeah. I think when you, these things are incredibly addictive. And I was, I remember my, my dad brought home one of the first ever BBC computers. I must've been, I don't know, seven or eight. Mm. And the graphics were awful, but there was some kind of ping pong game, you know? And I, and I just remember thinking I could play this forever and I'd be content. <laughs> you know I, I didn't have high standards no you was gonna say yeah <laughs> and then you know obviously obviously the game gameplay and the ai improved and all of that and I, I i'd happily spend 10 12 hours a day playing playstation it was what i lived for i got up early before work to to play it and then when i came back i'd play it for Is six seven hours before online gaming yeah. So you're you're literally just playing against a yeah, computer at best. First, yeah. This is the first five years of the millennium, really. Because it's crazy when you when you pull it apart and think about what you're doing. You're staring into a box this is that it. is numbing you. At the end of every long session, I felt ill. Yeah. And now and then you read an article about someone who died because they played yeah. a game, and I I got it. I felt like my brain cells were just disappearing, wearing away, and I wasn't doing anything to to grow them. Mm. So it it was exactly what you've just described, Neil. I that was I was very very aware that I was just wasting my life, and and that that was a big part of this this twenty fifth birthday moment where I just realised, God, my relationships a mess. It's totally stale. We don't want to be together, but it's hard to say goodbye. Yeah, and 
I hate my job. I can't wait to leave it. I hate the feeling of getting up on a Monday morning and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. <laughs> and all I want to do is be on this sofa, sofa sized beanbag, which kills my brain cells. There has to be something else. Uh, there's got to be, there's got to be something more in this life, you know. So the point of no return, can you remember what that was? Yeah, it was that morning. Was it? Yeah. That's... I, I held out, I, I remember, like, Kiwa got bored of pretending to talk to me and she went downstairs and had to wait a good hour for breakfast because I was, I stayed in bed and I thought, you know what? I'm just not going. <laughs> I'm not going go to go into work on time. <laughs> I'm not going to go into work on time. I'm going to give it an hour. It's my birthday. I reckon I can, I can scratch it. And I remember holding up one hand and counting on each finger the things in my life that I shouldn't be doing, that I hated or that needed to change. And then on the other hand, the stuff that I really, really wanted to do. And I, the conclusion was, I feel like those two hands was a, was a blueprint going forwards. I said no to pretty much everything. There were there weren't these new experiences. I I was five years, six years away from the kid who'd you know resiliently earned money in a soul sucking job mm. washing pans in a, in an RAF kitchen just to go to Uganda, and I felt like I needed that focus. And I yeah no was no was right at the heart of everything. So I just I said to myself just before I got up, I need to say yes more. And that that motto just stuck from that moment. And over the over the next few weeks, I I started saying yes to ev everything that came my way. Did the, 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 I'm trying to remember that it's Dave Gorman, isn't it? Uh, who did the Danny Wallace? The sorry, yes, Danny, Wa yes, Danny Wallace. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah. And had that? I'm, try, I'm trying to think if that was before or after. I so, so didn't it, read that book until maybe 2008, 2009. Mm. So. We're talking 2004. Okay, so you yeah. just worked this out of your own accord. It was like, <laughs> I'm sure. I think I just need to say yes more and no less. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I, and within within just a few days, I was I was just gathering habits and and hobbies, and I I felt fresher. I felt now, like and where were these coming habit. from? Where were the opportunities coming from? They were they were there all along. Yeah. I just started to recognise yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. You started to notice. Yeah, and, and it started with let's explore this town that I've lived in for, for five years. C can, yeah. can we? Sorry again, Dave, to yeah, cut in. Yeah. But can we can we dig into how did you spot that the correlation to all of this being about you saying no and not saying yes? I I lay there with long hair, slightly longer than I've got now. I'm still desperately holding on to my youth <laughs> yeah doing well and i thanks buddy <laughs> and i just thought why why don't i really have why don't i have a core group of friends why am i why am i doing this job which i utterly hate and i'm not very good at why do i live in swansea and i've got long hair and i'm closer close closer to surfing beaches than most other people in the uk and I've been surfing once in six years when I really want to go surfing. The, all of these questions. And it just kept on coming back to, it's just because I'm negative. Mm. And I don't want to be a negative person. Mm. So, so that's what it essentially was. It was a switch from a negative outlook to a positive mm. outlook. Yeah. I think, you know, in the absence of, of a cancer diagnosis or a, or a car crash. Yeah. 
all of these confluences, relationship, <coughs> job, life, brain cell destroying PlayStation habit, they collided right there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I think I think it's really interesting this this ability well, the power of rock bottom. Mm. You know, and I think some people you didn't wait because there could have been, as you say, there could have been another rock bottom, but it might not have happened for six, seven years. It might sure. not have happened for 20 years, 30 yeah. years. But you managed to create a rock bottom mm. by looking at understanding yourself, yeah, being self-aware. Um, well, I think that self-awareness, I spent a lot of time by myself as a kid. So I was used to being introspective without yeah. really having any answers. But no massive change or adventure comes out of a good place. Mm. Say that again. N- no huge change or adventure comes out of a good place. You have to. You have to be challenged. A, you have. To, well, you have to just be in a place where you don't want to be. Yeah. You have to. You have to suffer. You have to, to suffer some, to get out of it. Yeah. Before you can wake up. Yeah, and if you don't recognise that you're suffering, which I think a lot of people don't recognize their yeah, suffering kind of zombie like behavior because yeah. they've been told that it's okay this is that what, what they're doing is. They, they've they've got what yeah. life isn't easy you well, shouldn't enjoy your job well the part, <laughs> part partly that but it but also they they've sort of bought into the you know you've got a regular income you've got a roof over your head you know you've got you know you, you've got a playstation yeah you're drinking coca-cola how dare you want more? Well, yeah, that's right. Well, how dare you think that that's not enough? Sure. Um, and I realise, and, and this is the conversation that that I've had time and time again ever since I started saying yes. Because as soon as I start talking about why I'm doing what I'm doing, the person I'm talking to often feels like I'm challenging them. Mm. Why are you... St- and it doesn't matter what you do. If you come up with an idea that's out of the box... Quite often, people will say, "That's ridiculous." You know, why, why, why would you do that? What makes you think that that's a good idea? And it's not because they care about my choice; it's because they're asking why I've decided to live a life that's different to them. Yeah, and, well, maybe, and only you, and only you know, well, or no, not only you know, but certainly you know best what's best for you. Of course. How can anybody else? Yeah. Understand how you feel they can't but no no nobody cares what anybody else really does they care how about how they relate to those actions yeah how they're affected yeah. by them so my decision to to do something totally different to the norm yeah which comes after this conversation uh that when I when I talked about it that became a challenge to anyone I was talking to why aren't you making this change too yeah. Okay. So you understood. You understood there was there was a version of rock bottom, mm. and you wanted to react against that. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that was to switch something around. And in the way you did it was by saying yes more. Mm. Uh, what I, happens? I I just want to have a go before we move on because I think we're going to get to chapter two. I feel like we're just about <laughs> to unlock chapter two. <laughs> we may but never get there. No, I know. But <laughs> I think there's a really important moment which I don't want to lose sight of. So, and I think you just alluded to this Ray that for many people they might have missed this okay so there was something that happened that and it was something about you being 25 a culmination you called it um, a confluence Mm. of things coming together Um, 
I just want to give an analogy and then sound you out on this because it might be useful for people. Um, what's really interesting in what you're describing is that you work this out yourself. This was all in your own mind. But I think there's something about the process you went through that might be really interesting. So I, I started life as a programmer. So I'm, I'm a tech guy. And there's this thing in the tech community. It's still around now. I've told Ray about this before. Um, it's called the cardboard programmer. Have you heard of this before? No. So the idea is that because you're working with computers and it's so easy to end up in a rabbit hole, you know, you're working on something, you're just getting further and further into the problem, further away from where the problem started. So what you do is you first recognize that that's what's happened and then you ask for a, a cardboard programmer. So you go, Ray, can you come be my cardboard programmer? And this is like parlance that does exist. It's funny. <laughs> and so Ray comes and stands next to him, looks and looks at the screen and I talk Ray through exactly what's going on, what I've been what I've been doing, where I'm at, and all the rest of it. Ray doesn't say anything. Um, I, and I fix the problem. And, it, and nine times out of ten, you fix the problem with the cardboard programmer. And the reason it's the cardboard programmer is because Ray hasn't had to do anything. He's, but his role... Thank is God more, for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but his role is to, um, is to make it simple for me to go through a process of almost getting back to first principles and describing everything in such, um, such a kind of considerate step-by-step uh, -step motion that I see things I didn't see before. Hmm. And because you're having to explain it. Yes. Yep. And I'm taking the time to take a completely different approach to the way I'm trying to solve the problem and I get the outcome. Hmm. So I want to now uh, kind of overlay that template back onto your conversation with your massive cat. <laughs> Because I think maybe the same thing happened. And I just wonder if that might be something for people to think about in terms of, you know, really how do you force that change of your own accord? Mm -hmm. I think I think you're dead on. The cat was the cardboard program. Yeah. But I think when you're explaining something to somebody, you want to be impressive. You do. So even if it's a even if it's a banal tech or computer problem that you've you've lost got lost inside your own mind with you still want to show that you're doing it well mm. or at least that you're you're actively uh searching for the solution in an impressive way and i just thought i i wanted to be an impressive person i didn't really care about being inspired by anybody else i just wanted to look in the mirror and be inspired i wanted to look in the mirror and think you're doing this mate mm. you know well done well done yeah. dave <laughs> yeah. yeah and i didn't really have have many moments of that before then and i just thought you know and i read the odd book you know richard branson's incredible tales of you know buying a narrow boat and selling cds out of it and i just loved that just that action mm. i was like dude why aren't you why aren't you doing that but, but i think that's that 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 idea of impressing yourself mm. is a is often lost because people are trying to impress other people that's right yeah. And they're not trying to impress themselves. And you know, I had a conversation yesterday, last night, uh, <laughs> talking to my my nephew, who and and I and I, I was sort of saying you you want to compare yourself to what you were yesterday, not uh -huh. to other people, yeah, because you're different, yeah. You know, and and you you can compare yourself to other people if you want, but. 
there's always going to be somebody. Gonna win. You're never no, going to win. Yeah. That's right. Because there's always going to be somebody that's, if you're measuring on that dimension, there's yeah. always going to be somebody better than you. But all, the best way to do it is just to benchmark yourself against what you were yesterday. And, and if you feel as though you've moved in uh, a positive direction and you're better than you were yesterday, hmm. well done. Yeah. I think if you come up to a birthday and you're bemoaning getting older, it's because you haven't used your time well in the mm. last year. Yeah, mm. and at that birthday, it's quite interesting, because 25 is a great number, isn't it? It's a, yeah. nice, it's a nice, you know, it is a quarter of a century, uh, but birthdays are, they're just little opportunities, moments when you can reflect. Um, yeah, and you want to re- reflect fondly, don't you? Well, you don't, you don't, you don't <laughs> have to do it on your birthday, but you know, mm. it's better if you don't wait for your birthday, really, because today's the best ba- day to start doing it, but, but why not? Absolutely. I, you know, going back to this, nobody's impressed with you. Nobody cares about your yeah. story. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. You know, I've. It's about if, you being if impressed we, with if yourself. If we manage yeah. to get to yeah. chapters two and three, <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've gone on to break over 10 world records, travel tens of thousands of miles under my own steam, write a few books, set up a community. No one cares. Oh, for what it's worth, I like, we do care. It's nice. Yeah. It's a nice story to hear, maybe, but I think ultimately deep down i know what you're saying it's if if it doesn't truly impact me on a day-to-day basis it's yeah, difficult for exactly. me to really take that much from it yeah for sure yeah like it's it's really rare for any of my friends to to ask about what i'm doing now they'll just be like how you doing what's next <laughs> yeah. you know and that says it all for me you have to do it for yourself yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Right, come on then, chapter two. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Feel like we're really going now. Okay, so we've had the conversation and the cat's given you all the answers mm. and you start to say yes more. What happened? A few weeks later, I, I saw a picture of uh, a long skateboard in a magazine. It was wintertime and I joined up with my parents and my brother to go for a snowboarding holiday we hadn't been to the to the hills for i think nine years so i'd forgotten how to ski and i decided to snowboard for the first time and i spent that week just head buried deeply in the snow but when i was up on the board i just loved that feeling of just moving along the slopes and a simple transition Mm. from toe to heel and i was i was moving i was surfing traveling on a board and i we had an hour and a half ride to i think the airport in geneva and uh on that ride i thought i would love to be better at snowboarding so i don't feel like i've wasted 700 or 800 pounds on my next snowboarding holiday Mm. which is exactly how i felt Mm. how am i going to get better at snowboarding i live really close to the sea i should surf more then i got to the airport and my my brother i hadn't vocalized any of this i never talked about my feelings but my brother said, look at this. He was reading an article. He handed me a magazine and there was a small picture in the bottom left-hand corner of this thing called a Tierney Rides T-board, which was a long board with just two wheels, one at the front, one at the back. And the headline was, Rides Like a Snowboard, (laughs) But on Tarmac. I thought, no, there's a sign here. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. So I got home, got, got one of these things. And I'd never been on a skateboard before, certainly not one with four wheels. Then I'm I'm stood at the top of a shallow hill near my home in Swansea, about to step onto my first ever board. And probably, this one's got probably seems quite steep, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it did. You know, <laughs> and you don't you don't want to fall on tarmac. 
Anyway, I made it down to the bottom of the hill and I curved a couple of times and I loved that feeling. It was freaking awesome. It was like I was snowboarding and I had no idea I could I could effectively snowboard outside my house. So I, I ran back to the top of the hill, just did it again and again and again. And then it was a little bit tricky kind of moving around on the flat on this thing because it had two wheels. It was meant to go downhill. So I, I, got, I got a four-wheel longboard and then for the next two weeks travelled around town uh, just loving hills and smooth surfaces. It was, and suddenly this town that I'd lived in for six years just looked different. Yeah, My yeah, whole yeah. perspective had changed. You know, it was like I'd, I'd had just misty glasses on, and suddenly I had windscreen wipers, and everything was proper clear. And I thought, if this if this can happen in a couple of weeks, then then what would happen if I did if I went further on this board? Two weeks of the day after stepping onto that board, I went into work, and. I just had a massive grin on my face. I knew what was about to happen. <laughs> Boss called me in and he was and he was just dressing me down for just being bad at my job. And he was like, we could replace you like that. And he clicked his fingers. And I just said, you're going to have to re- replace me like that. I clicked my fingers, put my keys on the desk, got on my board and skated out the building. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I left, you know, I'd, I'd, been, I'd been processing this on the mile and a half skating to work which had become my, my favourite commute mm. over the the previous two weeks. It's just like, this is one thing, you know, that makes my days worth living now. I wanted to leave and skate skate around. And uh, and I decided as soon as I left the building that I was going to try and break the world distance record on a <laughs> skateboard. If my hometown looked different, or if the town I'd lived in for six years looked different just after two weeks, what happens if I skateboard across the country? I felt like that would that, w- that was the sanest decision of my life even though i was still falling off this board i felt that if i if i managed to do that if i skated further than anyone else had ever skated i'd know what was next the answer would just be there so did you know how did you know how far you had to go well, highly recommend if you make yourself that promise, you find out how yeah. far. That's, <laughs> what, that's what I'm wondering, you know, because it <laughs> three thousand miles was <clears throat> yeah. was the world record. A guy called Jack Smith had ridden across the US. Have you Have you ever met Jack Smith? I met him. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before or after you smashed after. the record? Because I know you did it. So yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah. spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, I met him afterwards. Oh, great. Okay. But I, I wrote to him. Did and you? He was. He was really nice. I can it was imagine. A yeah. Really good lesson for me going forwards because he was. I. It was so. It was such a nice feeling getting a reply from this. Yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. You know, he'd skateboarded across America, and ah, oh, Jack Smith's written to me. That's awesome, and it just gave me a little bit more flame. Uh, and it's something I I do regularly now when people write and say, "Hey, you know, can you help me do this adventure or that adventure?" I always reply. It's okay. so so important. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess I guess long chapter short, I. I spent a few months just kind of working out what this thing looked like. I think skateboarding across the country wasn't going to be enough for me, so I wanted to, I wanted to turn it into something more. I, I chose three kids charities to raise money for. Uh, I started talking to the Swansea Evening Post, so I was back in that office I'd been a few years earlier, learning how to design my newspaper. But suddenly they were interviewing me, and I was on the front page of the paper because. No one did anything in Swansea, so <laughs> even even someone talking about doing something would get on the front page. Uh, one summer there was a there was a front page article: goldfish dies in heat. <laughs> wow! And I just remember thinking the bar is low here. Yeah, uh, that's going to be could be a success. Uh, I skateboarded the length of Britain from John O'Groats to Lands End. And how I, did you survive fan- financially? <clears throat> I didn't spend anything. <clears throat> Simply, I'd 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 saved any money that I'd earned 
uh, over the last couple of years as a, as a newspaper editor and then the graphic designer. Can you? Can you? you so, hang on. so, so, the saving bit mm. did, was that something that just came naturally to you? You just did it out of habit, or did you have in the back of your mind that there was going to be an adventure that you needed to save for? No, I, I definitely wasn't saving for something other than. You know, at some point in the future, maybe I'll, maybe this will come in handy. Maybe another Uganda will come along. You know. Okay. Um, can you can you remember roughly? At the, so at the point when you clicked your fingers back and said, hmm. "You're going to have to replace me." Yeah. Can you remember financially how long you felt you had, even with um, dropping the spending massively? Uh, I didn't really put a figure on it, but at that point, it, I, whether it was that moment or uh that that process of of just slowly just being a little bit more free with my decisions let's try this and see what happens i realized that i didn't really need that much to live i was uh, at the time as well i was living in swansea so cost of living was super super cheap mm. um and i i don't know i was earning a couple of grand a month and i'd go straight into hmv and buy 10 dvds mm. I never watched, mm. but it was almost just like that gentle, let's prove to yourself that this income's worth mm. worth having. So I just spent it. Mm. As soon as I left, I didn't do that anymore. I just realized, okay, there's no income coming in. And I worried about that. It was the first time after having a job that I didn't, I didn't have an income, but it didn't really seem to matter. Uh, so I, and I knew that if I was, if I was off traveling, then I wouldn't be paying rent. Mm-hmm. It was kind of that simple. Mm-hmm. So it's not what you earn, it's what you don't spend. Mm. So I figured I'd just start living a pretty meager life and that was fine. I didn't need anything apart from to go past 3,000 miles on a skateboard. <laughs> and, and where was this 3,000 miles? So I, I started looking around for a long, long road. I, I didn't want to, I didn't, <laughs> literally, I didn't want to go to America because right. that's where the previous record yeah. been. I wanted to do something different. My first instinct was to skate from, from my home in Swansea all the way to Beijing for some reason. I just looked at, I'd looked at a world map and it seemed like there was a nice a big l- land jet. A lot more than 3,000 miles. A lot more than 3,000 miles. And that didn't deter me, the fact that there wasn't a hard paved road all the way across Asia and China uh, was a bit of a bother. So <laughs> then, then I saw a map of Australia and it just felt right. There was something about it. I knew they'd road the whole way across and it was one country. It felt, wow, okay. And, being English, you know, I read from left to right, so I started on the west coast of Perth and then looked at Sydney and I saw this line on, on this map, which was at the back of a Lonely Planet guide. So I knew the road was all across and I thought, just to Sydney? Nah, let's go to Brisbane. So uh, uh, up the coast. So then it was, I'm going to go from Perth to Brisbane on a skateboard, but I've never done any endurance stuff. Uh, I've only been skateboarding for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I should have a warm up. So yeah, I just decided to go from John O'Groats to Land's End. So ah. that 900-mile warm-up took me 34 days. I remember getting to the top of the hill coming out of uh, John O'Groats, so two and a half miles off from knackered. the signpost. I was shacked. <laughs> <laughs> the road was horrible. It was really uneven. There was a headwind. It was uphill, yeah. which is never fun on a skateboard. And I just, But I remember thinking... I take this yeah. and being behind that yeah. desk in Swansea yeah, yeah. any day. What, what what kept you going? So so you're committed. So in your mind now, at this point, you're starting to build this picture of I'm going to beat Jack Smith. Was it? Yeah, I'm going to beat Jack. And um, and I'm I'm at this point. You 
you started to see that it's Australia and I could kind of see the route. Yeah. But I'm, I know what obstacles are coming now. Right? <laughs> I can't, I, I've only done two weeks, so I've got to build some, <laughs> some confidence. But uh, as you start to go, like literally you start to take action mm. and you feel the headwind, what's, what's keeping you going? What's keeping you? Because it, it must have got ridiculously hard very quickly. Yeah. I mean, endlessly. But I think I, I had no idea what was coming. And that was purposeful. I didn't, I didn't route plan until each day because mm. I, I didn't want to look at Google and find out what things looked like. Same with the UK route on top of Australia. I, I just wanted to come to a hurdle and deal with it because I was there. Mm. And I'd gone through all my fear planning beforehand. You know, it's a mind game doing something like this. Yeah, you have to be able to move physically, but I, w- I wasn't really in it for speed. And I kind of, I didn't, care a huge deal about the world record other than it would be brilliant to be the best at something yeah i'd never been there uh i felt guilty about breaking jack's record oh, yeah that's yeah. really nice yeah 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 um so Sorry, now jack so now if anyone wants to break one of my records i'm i'm proper nice to them <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> you know they should have a little bit of guilt <laughs> and what kept me going i just felt like this was this was it and that a bit of hardship was you know, the least I should expect. Mm. It's about time as a as a as a pretty fortunate middle aged white chap who'd never really had to battle too much. But I and I don't really count the bullying stuff into that. That's just a product of of where I was. Um, on the whole, I was lucky and I realised it. And I think I think we should experience a little bit of hardship, even if it's self self set. Mm. But with, with, with the, the alternative, when you're at the top of that hill in John O'Groats, you know, and it'd been hard. The first two and a half miles. That wasn't hard. No, right. No, looking back. back. <laughs> yeah, looking back, but it felt it at the time. Yeah, but that isn't isn't the thought of being back in the graphic designer job hmm. where you haven't got any highs and you haven't got any lows and it's just yeah, you're flatlined, empty. You take. I felt alive. Up and yeah, I felt that's, alive that's, at the top of that. Yeah, hill. that's right. And 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 with. What am I trying to say? I'm, try- I'm trying to say, I think that that it's you've got to expect that you've got to expect the hardship, hmm. but it's worth it. Of course, I don't. I think with certainly uh, an endurance long distance trip like that, if you think it's going to be easy, you're an idiot. But so I knew it was going to be physically tough, and I was just totally ready for that. I was I was ready for anything that came because I knew that if I could cross that finish line. At Brisbane, then I'd be a different. I'd be ready for anything. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, feel yeah. confident. You feel proud of yourself. Yeah, it would have been so you much more yourself. useful than five years at school. Yeah, and yeah. Like almost anything else that you could that you could could have done. Yeah. And but there's I- there's so much power in having an idea and then acting on it and mm. making it real. Mm. That's that's yeah, and, just and, and, and the and world, think, isn't mm. it? And I think this is the the important thing that's coming out of this for me. It it it, it happens to be an adventure. You know, it, it happens yeah. to be a in Australia, and it happens to be a physical Those are adventure. Just um, yeah, but that's right; they're just details. This is what life can be like if you if you if you do something different. You, if you if you change change things around, it is going to be hard, but yeah. it's also going to be great, and you will feel alive. You've got to believe that it's going to be worth it, and you also have to you have to believe that it's going to work out. Yeah. If you if you approach any situation with optimism which of 
course I did. I didn't I didn't get to the stage where I was driving all the way up to John O'Groats with nine hundred miles of, of horrible English country road and cowpat ahead of me. If I if I didn't believe it would work out, then I wouldn't have done it. Well, I, I spoke to somebody the other day, and it was it was just he was talking about he, he's a paraglider, mm-hmm. so he jumps off hills, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, with one of these sort of yeah, sleeping bag <laughs> uh, and string <laughs> and stuff like that. And he, he was ta- he was talking about um, people who go up on their first solo flight, mm. and he was saying that such a high proportion of these people, when they come into land, crash into the thing that they're trying to avoid. Yeah. Because they're looking at the thing they're trying, the tree, mm. the car, mm. the what the, the pylon. They constantly look at the thing they're trying to avoid. Yeah, and of course, when you're in a, you know, when you're flying one of those things, you, you're going to end up in the direction you're looking. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bit like it's the a, same with snowboarding or it's surfing. A, it's a great yeah. metaphor. Shoulders are facing. Yeah, yeah. For sure. yeah. and you know, and I talked to talked to somebody about this the other day, and he was saying it's the same with cricket. Somebody was asking him how he, you know, how he kept scoring fours, and you know, you know, do do, do you really notice where the fielders are? And he says, no, I don't look at where the fielders are. I look at where the space is. That's yeah. where I hit. Uh-huh. That's what I'm aiming for is the space. Mm. And I think so many people, you know, me included, you know, you, you sometimes look at the thing you're trying to avoid and inevitably when you're paying attention to something. That's your focus. That's mm. where you end up. Yeah. So if you end up, you know, if you, if you focus on what you want to achieve, Brisbane, mm. that's where you're going to end up. Yeah. And I was happy with that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, by far it was the biggest goal I'd ever set myself and it felt it felt so liberating only when someone said what are you doing on that skateboard would I say I'm going to Land's End or I'm going to Brisbane but I never thought about it like that all I thought about was that day yeah and I yeah. think and I, that I, was split up I need to get to the top of that hill I need yeah, to get yeah. around that bend mm. I need to get beyond that and tree I, and I think that's so right and I think that is the way to approach these things it's just it's small steps mm. you know because by the time you've got you've taken that first small step things have changed yeah so you can't plan because the weather's different or because there are different people around or in your case is probably traffic you know For you sure. can't you can't imagine what it's going to be like when you get there so just focus on getting to that absolutely to the top of the hill or to the next lamppost or whatever it might be yeah and then enjoy or suffer yeah. through whatever comes next yeah and all of that has to be you have to accept that you you can't plan this stuff out you could well you could plan as much as you like but yeah it's going to change every day yeah, anyway. It's, it's probably going to be useless, the planning. And I, I and and that was that was a thread that continued in adventures to come. I, do, I don't really plan that much. It saves me time, saves me energy, money, saves me worrying about stuff beforehand. Yeah. I tend to get to the start line of any adventure now. I don't know how to travel so on the transport en- until day one. So the energy <laughs> you've got is focused on the just, job in hand. Yeah, just just being where I am and moving a bit. I've got. I'm going to do a huge disservice to um, <laughs> every like everything that happened on those months, maybe years, to get to the point where you finished and you turned up at Brisbane. Hmm. But that's what happened, and you'd gone through incredible change in so many ways. And I'd imagine, I imagine, like f- from a health point of view as well, it couldn't have been particularly good for you. So I'm sure there was like real physicality as well as kind of the mental changes that you might have been going through. But 
having gone through that, it'd be interesting to know if there were moments along that way that where you really kind of got knocked sideways. Hmm. But then when you reached, it was Brisbane, was it, that you finished at? Yeah. At? So when you reached Brisbane, what did that feel like? And and kind of how do you, how can you imagine yourself in a way that maybe you didn't expect at, at that time? I think, um, first, I... I don't take it as a disservice for me now just talking talking about skateboarding four and a half thousand miles in eight months it's just something i did mm. it's nothing more than that mm. uh and that was that was 2006 2007 so a different bloke what i didn't realize would happen on that trip was i i had a team of people who i convinced to quit their jobs <laughs> and drive at 10 kilometers an hour for five months behind a yellow skateboard and that was hard. The team was the hardest bit. Yeah, there was a lot of physicality in it, you know. But I became a Duracell bunny. I just had, I pushed on one leg because I was, I knew I could. And I had a massive right calf and a big left thigh. And I went, <laughs> and I went up hills for six hours on a skateboard like no one else had ever done before. And it felt awesome. I just, it was, I knew, I knew I could do it. I, every single day I'd be traveling at 40 miles an hour on a skateboard. If I fell off, I would have badly hurt myself, if not worse, but I never felt like I'd fall. And it was dealing with the team mm. and the squabbles that came out. I'd come off a, you know, skating 90 kilometers in a day and the team would be arguing amongst themselves and I'd have to mediate that. I didn't have a kind of a chief of staff. And of course this is simplifying the whole situation, but by the time I got to the end, I was, I was so conflicted in so many ways. I was delighted to have finished. I was relieved that I wouldn't have to kind of endure this team <laughs> squabbling anymore. Wow. That, yeah. And that, that was my overriding emotion, actually. Uh, it, definitely, it definitely took the gloss off it. There's but I so, suppose there's so much beauty and irony in what you're describing. <laughs> and I'm saying that for a, num for a number of reasons. But the, the obvious one is you almost certainly and this is not a challenge so don't go off trying to do this though um you almost certainly couldn't do it without other people just because of the logistics of actually doing it in one sense and or so, another yeah so, so so they're they're a necessary part of the process mm. and yet that's probably where most of the complexity comes about because they're different people with different needs yeah of course in fact many of many of the journeys i've completed since then have been solo because it's so much more simple really and i've often thought about going back and repeating i've i've had teams on a couple of my trips and it's always been a freaking nightmare and i've often i the only things that i consider repeating are the ones that i once did with teams and i i, I think about how i do them solo and they'd they'd totally be possible solo but to expect that to be without any human interaction so it so, would be crazy mm. <laughs> what were the issues oh <sighs> How long we got? <laughs> we had, I think... When if you, you boil them down to something. I think if we boiled down to something. I didn't have a budget to pay people. So everybody put in a little bit of money because they saw that this would be a great... Adventure. Adventure. Yeah. You know, you, you'd come out of whatever experience, even as a, as a support team member, and you'd have, you'd have so much extra on your CV. But because of that lack of budget, it was always inexperienced folks who would sign up, you know, people just coming out of school or university or just starting their careers. And I think as soon as you put somebody into a really difficult, different environment, you don't know how you're going to react until you're there. So while the idea of, wow, you know, we're going to go off and support this guy on a skateboard 
breaking a world record in Australia for five months sounded awesome. Once you're in the middle of a desert and it's 45 degrees yeah, and you're yeah. sat in a car with three other people you barely know and you've all got jobs to do and it's it's fairly intense for them. As well as kind of keeping this 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 guy fed and watered, this ginger dude in the desert, you know, who's just, you know, if anyone was more prone to burning. Yeah, I was just about to say, so <laughs> did, well, did you have somebody who's de- dedicated sun cream guy? <laughs> For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a photog- and on and on and on. And slowly just, I think everyone just unraveled. You know, there was... A me- mentally that was a really tough so they had they they really were on their own adventure as well weren't they of course yeah and they of course and i think we you know we just didn't have a budget to do team building and training (laughs) and and even to understand what was about to happen uh so it was a relief coming to the end of that it 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 really was uh so so you get to prism and you're feeling relieved which you weren't well maybe relieved in a different way to how how you would have expected i didn't expect to to get to the end and think God, I'm so glad that's it. And I, but it, there was also this form of satisfaction. And I think there was this cauldron of emotion and learning once I crossed that finish line in Brisbane that gave me exactly what I felt like would happen. If I got to Brisbane, then I'd know more or less, if not where I was going, but what I was capable of and what life should look like. Yeah. And there was everything from, had a massive falling out with the film crew. There were there were two guys who just set up their own uh, production company, followed the whole trip along. And by the time I crossed that finish line, I knew that I'd never see that footage again. Oh, that's a shame. My whole, my biggest, the biggest story of my life, I wouldn't be able to tell myself. And it was in someone else's hands. After that, I taught myself how to film and edit. So I, I told my own story, uh, which has been really fruitful and I mm. love it. It's one of my riches. Uh, I, I knew that I wanted to travel solo. I knew that I could decide to do anything and I could make it happen. And I also realized I didn't really want to actively fundraise for charities because we hadn't, although we raised tens of thousands of pounds, we hadn't hit, hit that self-set goal at the beginning. And this sounds ridiculous. I, You know, I'd, I'd done it. I'd broken that world record. I'd skated across Australia. This whole project that we'd set up had been ultimately a success. But because we were maybe 15 grand behind the fundraising target it felt like there was a sliver of disappointment to it which shouldn't have been justified mm. so the conclusion of 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 that big trip across australia was i knew i knew where things were going after that the only thing i wasn't prepared for was the, the post-trip depression so how, okay. how long did that last for seven or eight months did it wow what, what were you doing in that seven or eight months? Well, unfortunately, and fortunately, I got a book deal. And I tell you, writing your first book when you're depressed is not cool. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was hard reliving, reliving that whole thing. And it was, I was so happy to have got a book deal. You know, I, yeah, I'd yeah. always wanted to write. Yeah, most and, people would be, wouldn't they? But now I had a story. It feels great to have a story. And it was uh, as much as it was a story that I didn't really want to tell because it was so, it was so wound around the difficulties with the team. Uh, it just, it, it gave me some certainty going forwards that, you know, I wouldn't put myself in that team position again. So, so this, this process that you went through of the going on this great adventure, 
having all the difficulties that came with it and the depression and, and the book deal that followed <laughs> these all these highs and lows that are you know in your in your life that weren't before because you hadn't We're really been conscious yeah, you, yeah that's right yeah um on balance mm. you're thinking even though there are lots of low points this new way of looking at life yeah is on balance positive for sure i think the the medium when you average everything out sure yeah. there are big lows and 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 lovely highs but my my average temperature was so much higher than that flat yeah. line i'd become used to yeah and, okay. and that was worth the lows and, and you knew that the highs you couldn't achieve the highs without the lows of course yeah okay yeah. so so how did you get through that seven how, I guess over the period you found ways to make sure that the maybe that this doesn't work on a podcast because I'm about to use my finger to but the, <laughs> the the highs and the lows did they have they the highs not quite as high and the lows not quite so low is that the way it's worked or not well I think coming coming home you know and this this in some senses counts for like a big work project or any sustained focus that that a human goes through but in this case I was on a skateboard for five months crossing Australia and every single day I was fit and healthy waking up outdoors on the whole meeting different people I had this this hard focus and when I came to the end of it I came back to a place I was familiar with mm. and life felt gray it had been high in hyper color technicolor for yeah, five yeah. months and that was gray and and that's that's not just mental that's hormonal mm. your body gets used to living to acting to moving in a certain way and when you when you switch that off you you you, you get glum and I, f I felt like that was that was a natural pr i understand it uh a lot more now having having been through it a few times but my one resounding aim throughout those those sad months after the skateboarding was in adventure of that kind i'd i'd found the thing that br brings me most to life and this is something i know i want to carry on doing whether it's traveling a long way or or just embarking on something different that that lights my fire but as a compromise there's there is this sadness afterwards so how do i find a way to maintain this this higher median line mm. yeah manage it how do you manage it how do you manage it yeah. but how do i how do i not be so sad or for at least for such a sustained period, seven months of depression. Yeah, is, yeah, that's quite a long crap. time. And I, I realised that once I finished that, I didn't have a focus yeah. anymore. And it took me a while to to get my energy back and start settling in again. And still haven't forgotten that first big leap, which was so quit that the, job, the book. Go. The book wasn't enough to make to give you a focus. Mm, it. it it kept me going and I, uh, you have to be super dedicated to write a book. You just have to, even if you don't want to, you don't want to write every other day, but you have to just sit your ass down and do it. You yeah. know, plug out, hit your word yeah. target or write yeah. for a certain amount of hours. And at, at the it's just like skateboarding 3,600 yeah, yeah, yeah. miles. You just got to plug it. Mm. Um, whether you're enjoying it or not. I, that, that final product, that final story is always the, the biggest satisfaction so i knew it was worth going through the book 
after my energy came back, you know, at the end of that, that sad period, the book was out, that was done. I felt like I was kind of looking for the next thing. And, you know, I took on a few little social projects, finding 50 ways to make 50 pounds, just to remind myself that there was other ways to make money. I knew I didn't have to go back to graphic design because I'd been, I'd, I'd done this journey and, and this publishing company had given me 4,000 pound advance to write this book. It just reminded me that there were different ways to make cash. Yeah. So I, I just started living this kind of weird life based on turning these pub ideas into reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all the while, I, 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 I got rid of my place in Swansea, and I didn't have a place to live. I ended up living just over ten years without without paying rent, uh, just living out of two backpacks. Rent, food, and transport are our biggest expenditures. So I'd got rid of one of the really big ones. Mm it was pretty liberating and I was, I was, I was willing to go through that. Where, where were you sleeping? Just like friend sofas and things or sofas. Uh, I'd go back to my folks now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but quite often I'd just be camping and I, I was getting asked to go into schools and, and telling my skateboarding story for free to kids. And I'd, most of them were, were in London. So I'd, I, I was spending for three years, I spent a hundred nights a year camping in London's parks. Wow! And then the next morning, going into a school, having just washed in the lake, and I'd go into the school hoping they couldn't smell me, <laughs> and telling my story. And I, I learned how to make presentations on my on my laptop, and that became my office. And I was working on another book, and this just became pretty normal. How how did uh, so your parents in particular? <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going with this. <laughs> did yeah. did you keep this from people? Or did you try and kind of just just ignore that? Because in the same way that I go home to my house and you know everyone just goes and does their thing, but you don't see what it is that we do. Yeah, was that what was going on? And as you said earlier, almost with the mindset of no one cares anyway. Or actually, was it a thing? So there's a method and a message, I think. So I, at looking back, I'm impressed with myself that I spent so long just sleeping in London's parks just to practice how to tell stories in public uh, but I, I felt like this the storytelling wouldn't necessarily lead to an income I felt like it might but at least it would lead to me being able to structure my future books in, mm. in a way mm. but at the time I didn't tell anyone I was sleeping in parks because that wasn't impressive you know I was just dirty I was slumming it but actually it was it was that means to the end it was a pretty extreme way of not spending any yeah. money which yeah. meant that I didn't have to go and get a job that I hated yeah I could just spend most of my time practicing the things that i felt would would form my future career but for those people closest to you so your parents in particular they had no idea really yeah yeah i when i when i called them up a couple of years earlier when i called them up and said guys i've quit my job i'm going to skateboard across australia i could hear my dad's head hit his hands (laughs) what are you doing what about your home you know what if all of this stuff and my mum's like chicken if this is what you need to do then i'm right behind you you know (laughs) And uh, it, it took, I think it took my dad especially a long, long time, a mm. few years before he, he, I think he, he only saw us being successful when I was actually earning an income but, a few years so, later. But the point when you were all over the media for being the first guy to, uh, to, to skateboard across Australia, yeah. did, it, did, did you notice them in particular and other people that were close to you that before might, might have not wanted to... Uh, use your story for their own hmm. uh positivity did you see that change um not really not really 
partly because I wasn't in I wasn't in the same place as them. Mm-hmm. I think my my folks came out to to see me part way through the the skateboard trip, which was really nice. They were just super happy that I wasn't a loser anymore. <laughs> I think. And oh, look, you know, it's cool. I, there was a sense of pride in it for them, but they. I think ev- ev- everyone else, either they were super supportive and they'd always been there or they were like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And the majority who said it was absolutely ridiculous, I never heard from again. Wow. Okay. You know, I think it was, maybe it was their pride. Mm. Maybe it was just, you know, cutting off the negative mm. people from your life, which mm. is super essential. Uh, so that, that definitely became a process. But again, by then I was resolute in that. I had to do this for me. Yeah, and this is me now. Take it or leave it almost. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, wherever this thing was going, I've chosen this this different path and I know it's going to lead somewhere cool. And in the meantime, I just got to do what I'm going to do. Mm. And 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 that's that. The little, the little shining lights of conversations about the skateboarding trip came when people would drop me a Facebook <laughs> message in this new blue platform with a big F on uh, and say oh you know we'd love I'd, I've been thinking about skateboarding John O'Groats to Land's End for 20 years and you've gone and done it now I'm going to do it or you know a, a kid who I'd spoken to uh, as part of a class a couple of weeks earlier would write and say you know I look at life a whole new way now mm. thank you Mr. Skateboard Man <laughs> um, and I've, I've there's definitely some value in that uh, and I and I wanted to be that guy yeah I wanted to be impressive so massive disservice number two, mm. and I think as we probably progress from chapter two to chapter three, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to crank the handle because I, th- well, I know from the story that you then went on to all sorts of other records. So give us a flavour of some of the more notable ones. But uh, and we don't want to. This is kind of a very deliberate move on our part that we we're really into the stories. We could have these conversations <laughs> for hours but 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 the bit that we're really trying to tap into as much as possible is how and why you changed on that journey Mm. so if you fast forward a bit and tell us about some of those other um big moments as you start to develop but also if you could kind of as much as you remember where do you remember yourself starting to change and maybe the people around you starting to change Mm. uh the people around me didn't start to change on the whole maybe a couple did not not in themselves the the people who weren't ultimately gonna be with me on that journey either as a supporter or a friend just disappeared Mm. and then i found the right people that i needed going forwards uh the the way to deal with this post-expedition depression led to definitely the biggest ongoing project in my life expedition 1000 which became this this kind of bucket list idea of I need a focus when I finish an adventure. I need to know what's coming next, and that's going to that's going to reduce the troughs of emotion. Yeah, okay. So this is is this something to aim for? Yeah, absolutely. But and this I think is it's, kind of elongating <coughs> the vision of what you're working towards. The only the only way. So I, you know, skateboarding across Australia was never going to be the first of twenty five non motorized journeys. But that was my that was my way to give myself a long term focus to work through, create a career and self satisfaction, but also keenly to remove this this ugly sadness mm. after a long journey mm. because I knew I'd always have something else. Uh, and 
I it took two and a half years after the skateboarding journey to feel okay. I want to go on another big adventure. I kayaked for two and a half months down the Murray River in Australia. I was super sad after that one, and then after four months of that sadness, I thought this is ridiculous. <laughs> I I need a longer focus. So how do I combine? I've done a skateboard trip. I've done a kayak trip. I know I'm becoming this adventure guy. How do I combine them? Almost in a branding sense, that completely fits with who I am, how I want to feel, and what I want to do with my life. So that's where Expedition 1000 came from. 25 different non-motorized journeys, each one at least a 1,000 miles, so it was going to be a proper challenge, whatever it was, and each one using a different form of non-motorized transport. It was kind of cheating. I'd already done two. I only had 23 of these things <laughs> yeah, right. left. Only I, 23 to go. <laughs> but I, I knew it was going to take me 20 years. And I was so happy with that. Yeah, Each yeah. journey was, this variety is a, is a spice, right? So I, I knew that each journey would be so different geographically, physically, mentally, uh, in terms of prep and all of that. And it felt like it was something I could commit to. I, I think this is, this is really interesting because, you know, we, we talked you know, 10, 15 minutes ago about not having a plan yeah and i think this is this is it was a plan without a plan that's yeah, the point yeah. It, yeah exactly it was a, theme it's, it was a vision it's a vision and, and i yeah. think in, in our language and you know different people will have different use different language but what you had was a vision you mm. had a picture of what you a, a direction <laughs> yeah but the detail wasn't there absolutely but you had the direction and i think that is what's mm. so important yeah and it was by i i was comfortable for the first time giving myself a huge far off vision yeah, goal, yeah without knowing anything in between yeah. I, d I still don't know I've d I, up till now I've completed 15 of these no I didn't realize it was as many as yeah, that. 15 down but I've still got 10 to go so not yeah. only is that really humbling you know at least 10,000 miles probably a lot more and it's going to take me another 10 years and I'm I'm super happy with it because I make the rules I'm mm. not I'm not racing anyone I'm not competing when I'm when I'm ready for the next one I'll take a couple of weeks to plan it and then we'll go you know, and it's and that's beautiful for me. I really, really like that. Yeah, and you you've got into the swing of things, haven't you? You sort of know each challenge now. I know what I should be scared of and what I should. Yeah, and I know that ultimately traveling a long way on a bicycle or a skateboard or a stand-up paddleboard or a kayak isn't difficult at all. It's it's hard sometimes, but it's not a difficult decision to make. You shouldn't be scared about the things you're, you're most fearful at a distance i stand up paddleboarded the length of the mississippi back in 2011 and all i really worried about beforehand was the alligators yeah <laughs> or the crocodiles yeah what about the crocodiles everyone's asking there aren't any crocodiles in north america <laughs> first of all stop being an idiot and then i i only saw alligators on that trip because i went off into the little tributaries they don't like the big river so because there are idiots on paddleboards yeah, yeah 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 that might just knock them knock them on the head I, so these things that that deter a lot of people from actually going down. I know lots of people who would never paddle the Mississippi because of the crocodiles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No crocodiles. There aren't no crocodiles, uh, and alligators aren't worth worrying about. They're after, pretty. They're after pretty this podcast, there's going to be a massive spike of activity. Well, let's people see. now yeah. paddling yeah. the Mississippi because of that revelation. One person considering. <laughs> yeah, <for sure. laughs> but so that that was just part of the learning. You know, there's own there's. There are very few things we actually should worry about, and we certainly shouldn't be so worried that we shouldn't act. Uh, the The solution to the depression was pretty much there. It still comes a little bit after some trips, but actually, I I get away scot free after some of them. Yeah, because I've 
I've got more focus now. Yeah. Not okay. just Expedition 1000, but I knew that in between these journeys, maybe I'd have six months, maybe I have a year. And other things would, other opportunities would present themselves. Say yes more became something more than just a motto. I was that, and how, yeah, how deliberate was that, and whereabouts does that fit into the into the picture? I think after a while, I I was I was really keen to develop a a really nice kind of self model where I could I could do what I wanted to do, spend my time how I chose, never have someone telling me. Uh, which way to go or not make enough of a living to survive and keep on doing what I was doing and still respect myself at the end of it and after a while I realized that I think it was 2012 that I started talking about say yes more it just been a tiny little voice inside my head that kept me going when I started talking about it I realized the reaction like people dug it Mm. And I realise there's something really Cause, special cause, in Because you've taken everything that you've believed in and you've <laughs> put it into three words. Exactly. It wasn't just a cliche that I'd read about no. and yeah, started yeah. repeating. I was walking that it. talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd, been, I'd been going for years and years. skating that talk and yeah. riding skating, that talk. Skating, riding, <laughs> paddling that talk, yeah. uh, aqua skipping that talk and all. <laughs> uh, a lot of random stuff, but it, it ultimately came together in a package which was a guy whose eyes were shining because he was making the right decisions and he was living well. Uh, the type, you know, people would say, you're living the dream. Mm. I was like, well, yeah, I, was, I decided to. Why don't you? And that's where Say Yes More came to its own. I realized that there was a bit more of a power. And uh, in 2015, I I came back from a trip and looked at my Facebook page and realized there were a few thousand people following my adventures, but I didn't really know any of them. And that felt, that kind of rhymed at the same point in time where I was really craving community. Yeah, I was I was living this pretty solo-led life. I was dashing around the world. I was doing these expeditions. I was starting to get paid to speak about adventure and positive mindset. So I had some income coming in. And I come back to London and it was still kind of a lonely place in the middle of every single adventure almost every single day I'd meet a complete stranger who would instantly feel like a friend Mm. for life because they were kind because I had an icebreaker something different Mm. when I came back to London there was no kindness everyone was rushing around and I think that's that's partly because very few people are vulnerable when they've got a house and a job and a train station they they zip between them they've got their lives sorted they don't need to ask for help and they don't necessarily have time to ask others if they need support as well. And I thought these these river and road angels that I meet in the middle of my adventures, they're humans. Mm. You know, we're we're all good. We discussed this beforehand. You're dead right. Every single human is good. Their situation might make them not so sometimes, but uh, you've got to believe in that. Mm. That's where the hope comes from. So I just put an event on my on my Facebook page next next week i'm going camping i think it was a thursday night come and meet me underneath the train station clock and we'll go camping and i had no i was going by myself and then 19 people turned up oh, oh fantastic wow. so we took a train out for half an hour and got to know each other around a campfire and everyone slept out and then got up early got back to work the next day and it felt incredible these there they are these people exist these these folks yeah, that want to hang around yeah. the type of yeah. people who i'm gonna put my thumb up 
but you can't see it. It's like every one of those thumbs, <laughs> yeah. the likes. Right. It's a real person. Real person, not and just they, an avatar. And they didn't just click that thing. Let's... They felt something at that moment yeah. as well. And it was something so much more. And it, it just felt like the natural next step. Yeah, yeah. So I did it again the next week and 25 turned up. And wow. the next week and 29. And before we knew it, hundreds of people were coming out on these campsites. And uh, and it's that's pretty hard because wild camping is illegal in England. So how do you how do you hide 55 people in a woodland in suburban London? But it, it just felt brilliant. Is that you know? right that it's illegal? Yeah. That's silly, isn't it? It's really stupid. Like you go to no- This is why Scandinavian people are so freaking cool because they're so in touch with nature, mm. not just as individuals, but as a country. You can... You can wild camp anywhere in as long as it's not in front of someone's porch uh, in in Sweden for two. That's for not two really nights. wild, is it? <laughs> Which yeah, you could argue isn't wild. So yeah, you, but you can wander off anywhere and yeah, just well. just camp up as long as it's for two nights and leave with no trace. Did you did you get to a point where the num the volume of people and the legality of it became a problem? Never a problem, right? Okay, I so sometimes we'd wake up and there were dog walkers kicking around, thinking, "Who are these?" But we from the beginning there were never any tents. It was only bivy bags. Oh, really? Which, if you've got a bunch of tents in a woodland, that's yeah. intimidating. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, wow, who's you know, what's this commune set up? Whereas if it's a bunch of people in bivy bags, they're just lying down. You could see their faces, and we'd always be like, "Good morning, lovely, yeah. lovely night for a camp." And they'd be like, "Yeah, it is." Rather than, <laughs> "What are you doing?" Well, I Police. Guess, yeah. I guess they also know you're probably moving on as well, because you don't look, look like you've set yeah. up a little village for yeah. sure. So all of all of these things were quite conscious, and I. And by then, I'd, 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 and just, just, yeah. why were you doing that? I wanted to turn my social media invisible audience into real people. Okay, just because that's what you wanted. Connect. I think it's connection and friends, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's I, just. I pro- wanted to find community. I wanted yeah, to okay. find these these people who, whether I'd say, do you want to come wild camping with strangers, or I'm going to go and skateboard across Australia or kayak a big river. They were the time to type of people who say, yeah, how can I join in? Rather than, I'm not going to go wild camping with strangers near London. I'm going to die, which <laughs> which most people would think yeah. and therefore wouldn't come. I wanted to find the yes people. Yes. So as soon as, as soon as that community started to grow, we called it the yes tribe. And then suddenly these these ideas and visions that I'd had beyond my solo trips started to appear possible I, w- I always wanted to hold a festival called Yesterval which was just another place where all these people could join in share adventure stories and get activated and go off and do something different so at the end of 2015 end of that summer we'd have maybe 20 25 camp outs that, that summer we held our first Yesterval found a field in Kent and we had I'd found five other people who just who I'd met through these campouts who were willing to take on different responsibilities to help organise this festival, and bang, we had 180 people come to a field in Kent for a weekend, sh- shared adventure stories, and and it was magic. Every time I went on a London bus, I thought, oh god, this isn't just a bus. I never saw that. I saw what what possibilities there could be for maybe a tiny home or a community space when you took the seats out. Is it fair to say, Dave, that you that the, your ability to see the things that you're describing here wasn't there ten years before? So, was this part of the process of kind of almost waking up or mm. mo- elevating that 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 watermark line that we talked about earlier? Yeah. That, that an ability to be able to see things that are hidden in clear sight. 
there's, so there's two sides to it. There's that ability to start seeing things beyond what they actually are, whether that's a physical shape like a bus or an idea seed, like mm-hmm. I'd like to go and travel somewhere and, okay, how do you want to do it? Or even if it's a system, you know, that we're pretty familiar with. Mm. There's always something beyond that, you know, and that unknowing what you know and then reshaping it is such a valuable part of evolution so yeah you can you teach yourself to see that more clearly but then you then you need to believe that you can act on it and it will actually turn into something and all of that's a process for sure i couldn't i couldn't see those things i couldn't have acted on them when i was a 15 year old Mm. or even a 25 year old i guess when i was 25 i started to see the potential of oh this isn't just a skateboard this is a means of transport so bit by bit iterative iteratively you you take that first step you make that first leap you become more confident on the second one suddenly by the time you're you're doing your fourth or fifth audacious thing it becomes second nature Hmm. the world looks different and it's awesome and what does um, the the point about seeing the bus brings us nicely back to the environment that we're sitting in yeah and closer to to today what does the world feel like today in terms of so we talked before about where you're living and moving mo- moving that and then what's happening on friday mm. would you just <laughs> test just tell us a bit about kind of that yeah and right at the beginning you said you're going through a new process of transition at the moment mm. what, what does that look like at the moment uh i think every three or four years since since i quit my job i i, I started to realize i needed to change something up and I'm I'm going through that now. Actually, four years on from the birth of the Yes Tribe, it's become a really central part to my life. I met my wife Em, who helps me run it on a day-to-day basis. But actually, I've I've been a one-man band for a long time, and I'm I'm not. I think we've already expressed I'm not very good at running <laughs> teams, and it's become a, a massive challenge, a really stressful stressful element of life it's we know that it's it's really valuable and we we know that it's worth keeping going but now i'm in i'm in a i'm in a place where i'm thinking about how to keep it going without affecting my own mental health Mm. i've actually uh i'd like to spend more time just thinking about my adventures and creating again uh i don't feel like i'm the same guy now who could start the yes tribe again I don't have that energy. I'm pretty mm. tired. Mm. So we're working out how to how to reshape the running of Say Yes More and how it how it moves forward still keeps, you know, having a positive impact without having individual negative impact. Uh Em and I have been living on a houseboat for three years, uh, in London and we're ready to be out of town. So our I guess our our, our dream vision now is to is to find some land with a glamping camping site on move the bus and everything that we've created here over to there so we're we're self-contained we're our own bosses again we can do what we what what we want and and that will make this whole process a lot easier and i've got another round birthday coming up on friday Mm. (laughs) we're speaking on monday on friday i turned 40 and of course i've decided not to just go and get drunk with my friends (laughs) which has never been a celebration worth having for me. I'm going to spend the day traveling 40 miles using 40 different modes of non-motorized transport, one for each mile. Can you imagine the logistics that goes into that? I mean, why make life easy? 
<laughs> but, but you're looking forward to it in your own special way i'd imagine of course and i think this is this is something i couldn't have done on my 25th 30th or even 35th birthday i know now that this becomes a community celebration it's not just you know I've, it's not just me deciding to do something weird on my birthday this is a chance for people to come together yeah and i yeah. know the day is going to be like a little carnival and there'll be lots of random forms of transport kicking around from water bikes to kayaks to those weird jumping stilts to and where's this going to be it's going to be in northwest london in rickmansworth uh we found a we found a nice little lake there called berry lake and there's a there's a mile long paved cycle path around it perfectly skateboard wheel smooth it's going to be fun yeah, and yeah. tiring yeah I'm, I'm trying desperately not to think about the actual physical needs of traveling 40 miles 40 different ways some are fast you know i can i can tick off a mile in 10 minutes on a bicycle or a yeah. scooter but i know that walking on my hands with someone holding my legs oh no you know, wow really yeah well, some you you end up scraping the barrel when you decide to find forty <laughs> yeah, different say, ways. Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of that's kind is of is a barrel fun. involved? Is that one of the mo modes of transport? It has been suggested. This is the beautiful thing about say yes more. It's not say yes to everything. <laughs> well, yeah, I did think that earlier. Actually, part of the lesson in life is to say no to things as well, isn't it? Because that creates the space to say yes to others. Yeah. Well, that's 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 the secret unspoken truth. I'd rather focus on the positive thing, on the action, on the thing I'm saying yes to. But when you say yes to something, you say no to everything else. Yeah. You have to really know that you want to do it. And and that's the beauty of this. It's, it's not about being a yes to everything person. That's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's expensive. Exhausting. Yes. It's not good for your mental health. No. You need to know where, where to make the space. And this is part of this. I think finally I'm maturing at 40. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> knowing that I need to be able to step back a little bit from the day-to-day -day cogs turning of this amazing organization that we've created and uh, and focus on myself a little bit more. Mm. I've got a burning question which doesn't really fit, but I just wonder what the answer might be. That Can you now or maybe in recent times, are there vices that, that you live with? So in as much as um, mm. if it were me, it would be I love eating good food. So I love going to a nice restaurant and having a really nice meal or it might be technology but but can uh, do, uh, do they exist in your world or have you have you managed to almost remove those as well yeah i wouldn't say there are any uh i've always had an addictive personality mm, i wondered that about when we were talking about the playstation earlier actually for sure yeah and actually sometimes i tempt myself back in but retaining enough control to to leave again um you know, we all know that addictive personalities can go in really bad directions sometimes. And I've, I've, I've always felt a certain control over it, certain since I was 25. And I almost like that sadistic returning with into that habit just to test my resolve. Mm. So last year, well, for the first time in a long time, you know, living on this boat, I had a home for the first time in a decade. And it's lovely having a nest, but it, it does, you know, comfort kills ambition. Mm. And it, and it did start to sap me a little bit. So I got myself a PlayStation last year. Did you? And I went right back into it. I w and I wanted to go hard. And it wasn't it wasn't the nicest thing. But I'm glad I did it. And then I was playing just FIFA, just one game. And I, when I was home, I'd play three or four four hours a day. And uh, 
but I'd listen to a podcast at the same time or an audio book. So I'd be learning at the same time as playing this game, which was on silent. That was my justification for that time. Uh, and then the season came to an end. I headed off on a recumbent bike across America and I came back and M said, Hey, do you want your PlayStation? I was like, no, sell it. Mm. And that's almost the test that you're giving yourself. Maybe every to, 10 years I'll yeah. go back into that. Yeah, it was a test, mm. you know. To see how you reacted to the experience. Yeah. To I see could, whether you've changed. Yeah, in a way. I also, you know, I think coming towards the end of a long trip, if I'd been, if I'd been paddling or skating or something for, for months, I'd feel that need to reward myself mm. with something mm. just menial. Yeah, okay. Uh, sometimes it comes across with, oh, I need, you know, I'm going to, like wolf down a big triangle of brie when I get home because yeah. I can't get hold of this where I am. And sometimes I just I I didn't want to be moving. I wanted to be sat on a sofa just playing PlayStation <clears throat> and not having to think about anything else. Just that's a great way to sw it's it's kind of a mindful activity. That's what I was thinking. That was kind of where I was going. Almost if you need those antidotes and what yeah. they might be, and that's okay as long as it doesn't become an addiction that mm. spoils the rest of your life. Because computer games in addictive ways can ruin your personality they can ruin your relationships um and your drive but i i spent a good few months last year doing that learning at the same time but realizing okay you moved on hmm. and it's so liberating just to say no more i'd like to just finish by saying thank you because it's been fantastic we could talk for hours on this stuff and i hope that we'll get opportunities to find out a bit more about some of the stories that are within the story um how do people get involved in your world hmm. i think there's some kind of obvious ways but tell us as many as there are for sure so let's start with say yes more uh the website is say yes you know just get on there have a dig around you'll you'll see endless projects and volunteer options that you can get involved in come along to the bus uh, which is at the yes bus on instagram and facebook uh, at the yes tribe is the same for for the yes tribe community and the yes tribe group on facebook is is the heart of that discussion um and then the adventure side just my name if you can spell it dave cornthwaite.com if you can't spell cornthwaite I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> that's why on Instagram I'm at Dave Corn. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say if anyone is listening to this and is is slowly thinking about doing something new, maybe don't quite have the answer or even the support network around, then then come along to to a, a Yes Tribe event. You know, you'll you'll end up surrounded by some people who've done something impressive but remain beautifully normal. Mm. Or a lot of people who are who are just doing something different most days, just 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 working out what it is that they want to be spending their time doing. But either way, they're the right crowd to be hanging around with if you if you if you want to do something because everyone's going to support you. Somehow. And as as we said before we started recording, as a as a first nudge, as a first touch towards yeah. a different kind of world for yourself, what a what a great way to start with a whole bunch of people who are in a similar place looking for a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Well, as, as humans, we're the only creatures on the planet capable of making a decision, acting on it and evolving as a result. And I, th I think living this just existing life isn't, isn't good enough. You know, at the very least, our mothers went through extreme pain to have us all. Yeah. We should justify that pain by doing what we can to, to find our potential. Mm. And we don't do that by, by sitting still. 
so we should stop sitting still which is exactly what we're doing at the moment and go and enjoy the countryside that's around us yeah thank you dave it's been fantastic really really enjoyed it thank you cheers That's it folks for show notes head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links a quick summary and you can also explore other conversations if you're enjoying this podcast then please tell your friends give us a good rating and remember to subscribe we're also really keen to hear your feedback so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on twitter you can tweet us at lifedonediff that's double f 